Good evening and welcome to First Aid Chats by Dr. G. I am Dr. Adana Grandison, a physician in Barbados and your hostess for this evening. First Aid Chats by Dr. G is a live podcast that provides listeners with a unique opportunity to not only hear complicated medical conditions explained, but also clarify any misunderstandings you may have about that condition. After all, a medically aware and educated patient is an empowered patient. This evening, our episode is entitled Sweet Tooth, Sour Truth, and our guest is Dr. Tanya Sargent, a family medicine consultant currently working in private practice. Dr. Sargent has a wealth of experience gathered over her 13 years in practice with a background in hematology oncology and internal medicine and specialty training in family medicine. Dr. Sargent's passion is educating her patient population about diabetes. And so given that today is World Family Doctors Day, I saw it fit that Dr. Sargent came and share her wealth of, and of knowledge and enlighten our audience. Good evening and welcome, Dr. Sargent. Hi, good evening to you. Are you hearing me well? Yes, I am. Okay, thank you for having me on the show today. Thank you. So, Dr. Sargent, our episode this evening is entitled Sweet Tooth, Sour Truth, and it's really the truth behind diabetes mellitus. So, without any further ado, let's get right into it. Can you tell me a bit about diabetes mellitus on a whole and then probably break it down into diabetes type 1 and type 2? Okay, certainly. Well, all cells in the body need sugar to work normally. And this sugar usually gets into cells with the help of a hormone called insulin, which is produced by the pancreas, which is an organ in the abdomen. We would say just behind the stomach. Now, if there is not enough insulin, or if your body stops responding to the insulin that you are producing, sugar builds up in the blood. And this is what happens in people with diabetes. These high sugar levels can then lead to problems if left untreated. Diabetes is a chronic medical condition that requires regular monitoring and treatment um, in order to keep these blood sugar levels as close to normal as possible and thereby preventing the complications of diabetes. These changes can be lifestyle changes, whether in your diet and your exercise habits or both, certain self-care measures, as well as the use of medications if your doctor thinks that you need them. Unfortunately, um, a lot of these treatments, if patients are adherent, can control their blood sugars and prevent the complications of diabetes. Now, there are generally two types of diabetes mellitus, type 1 and type 2. 
In type one, the problem is that the uterus has, the, sorry, the pancreas, hear me uterus, the pancreas has stopped making insulin altogether. And that patient needs to be given insulin from outside the body, usually as an injection. However, in type two diabetes, the, the body stops responding to the normal or even high amounts of insulin um, that the pancreas is producing. And over time, the pancreas actually will stop producing enough insulin to control the blood sugar levels um, in the patient. This is the most common type of diabetes, um, type 2 diabetes. In the States, Canada, Europe, 90% of all people with diabetes have type 2 diabetes. And a similar situation is found in Barbados, where most of our diabetics um, have type 2 diabetes. Okay, so you said essentially with type 2 diabetes that the body is not handling that insulin properly. Can you, can you give us a bit more exactly what is happening? Is, there, is it a picture of the body is still producing insulin, but it is resistant to the insulin? Okay, so usually in type 2 diabetes, the body is still producing insulin. However, there are certain factors that will prevent the body from responding to that insulin as it would in a normal person. And we call this insulin resistance. And one of the most common causes of insulin resistance is obesity. Because those fat cells that accumulate causing um, the obesity actually release certain factors into the body that keep your, your, your cells from responding to the insulin. And that insulin is like a key that unlocks a door to each cell, allowing the sugar to go into the cell. So if you're, if you're not responding to, if you know, that key is no longer opening the lock for whatever reason, then the sugar can't get into the cells for the cells to use the sugar, and thereby you have a lot of sugar circulating in your system, and that's what causes the problems in diabetes. Mm -hmm. So tell me what are some of the symptoms that a person can experience that would probably cue them in or cause them to think they may have diabetes? Well, one of the most important things to note is that most people, especially type 2 diabetics, may not have any symptoms. They can be completely asymptomatic, as we will call them. But when they do have symptoms, some of the most common symptoms would be the need to urinate frequently, feeling thirsty all the time, and blurred vision. Patients can also complain of frequent skin infections, yeast infections, urinary tract infections, like bladder infections, or these infections are cuts that they get and they're not healing well or they don't heal at all. Some patients may actually have weight loss or weight gain and complain of a lot of fatigue. And they may note a fruity smell or odor to their breath, um, especially when their, their, their blood sugars get really high. And those are the most common symptoms, if there are going to be any. Mm -hmm. You said that the breath becomes fruity? Mm -hmm. It can. Uh, it can become fruity. So, so why exactly would a person's breath become fruity? Take us through that, that pathophysiology, if you don't mind. Uh, well, it uh, depends. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry? Yes, yes. So, go ahead, go ahead. Well, um, it's hard to put it in layman terms, but sometimes it can actually indicate a complication of diabetes, right. um, whereby the, there's so much sugar in the body that there is an abnormal metabolism of that blood sugar, breaking right. it down into um, what we term medicine as ketotic bodies. And these, ke these ketones have a very you know, weird fruity smell that the patient can actually smell on their breath or they may not notice it, but somebody else may notice it. So these are the, the abnormal sugars that the body then tries to produce, essentially, yes. to try to... Yes. Okay, got you. So, so the person has some of these symptoms. What is their next step? Should they, should they try to change the diet? So should they interact with their doctor? Certainly, I would think that we should encourage persons to at least go to the doctor to get checked up. And, or if they have a, a machine at home, what are some of the blood sugar readings that we are looking for? Okay, so if you're having symptoms of diabetes, I would strongly recommend that you not try to handle it yourself at home. Please see your general or family practitioner because while you can have symptoms, the diagnosis is really confirmed with blood tests. Um, and these blood tests can be done, you know, there, there are numerous blood tests that we can use. 
um, including the random blood sugar test, the fasting blood sugar test, the oral glucose tolerance test, and the HbA1c test. And if you'd allow me to just talk about each um, individually. So the random blood sugar test, as the name suggests, is done randomly. Um, it's a blood test that can be done by your doctor anytime during the day, regardless of when you last ate. The fasting blood sugar test is done fasted. And this is after the patient hasn't had anything to eat or drink for the last eight to 12 hours. So it's preferably be done as an overnight fast. The oral glucose tolerance test is a bit of a cumbersome test, but it's also very important in the diagnosis of diabetes. So what's done is that the patient usually fasted, has their blood sugar taken, and then they're given um, a certain amount of a very sweet drink to drink. And then two hours later, the blood test or the blood sugar is rechecked again. And the last test is the HbA1c test. And this measures how your blood sugar has been over the last two to three months on average. So those blood sugar tests will tell you what your blood sugar is at this very moment. But the HbA1c or the hemoglobin A1c tells me how your blood sugar has been over the prior two to three months. So it gives me an overall um, idea as to how your overall blood sugar control has been in the prior three months. Now, depending on what number we see for each um, test that we do, then we can decide if your blood sugars are normal, if they're elevated but not yet at diabetic levels, or if they confirm your diagnosis of diabetes. So we'll go through each one individually. So if you look at the fasted test, uh, remember this is the one, the blood sugar test where you've done, where, which is done when you have an ESIN for eight to 12 hours. And a normal fasted blood sugar is less than 5.6 millimoles per liter. And these are the English units that I'm talking about. And these um, are the units that we use in Barbados. In Barbados. Absolutely. Right? Important, important. Most people, there's some people who use the American units, but most people here use the, the machines with the English units. Um, so fasted blood sugar, less than 5.6 is normal. Um, when we suspect that you're diabetic based on your fasted blood sugar is if your blood sugar is 7.0 and above, right? And then there's the in-between, and we'll come to that shortly. If you're looking at the oral glucose tolerance test, and this is where the you've been given this sweet drink to drink, and they test your blood sugar two hours later. If your blood sugar is more than 11.1 millimoles per liter, then that would help us confirm the diagnosis of diabetes. If we look at the HbA1c, again, this is, this is the test that looks at your average for the last two to three months. Then if it is 6.5 or above, which is 6.5% or above, then that would confirm your, di your diagnosis of diabetes. Um, we can also use the random blood sugar. Um, if the random blood sugar is above 11.1 millimoles per liter and you're having symptoms of, of diabetes, then your doctor may diagnose you with diabetes at that time as well. And of those four, you just need to have one in the diabetic range for your doctor to say, hey, you are diabetic and you move forward. Now, this is a good time to also mention a phenomenon called prediabetes. So remember for each for each test, there's normal and there's diabetic level. However, there's an in-between whereby the, num the, the values are not normal, but the patient is not diabetic as yet. And we call that pre-diabetes. And at that stage, the patient is at increased risk for developing diabetes. And this is an important thing to know as well. So if you're using the fasted blood sugar test, Values between 5.6 to 6.9 millimoles per liter indicates prediabetes. Remember, diabetes is diagnosed if the fasted blood sugar is 7.0 and above. If we use the oral glucose tolerance test, um, which is when you take the sweet drink and then check the blood sugar two hours later, um, prediabetes is diagnosed if you have a value between 7.8 and 11, remember di diabetes is diagnosed if it's 11.1 and above. 
And lastly, for the HbA1c, remember we said normal is less than 5.6. Diabetes starts at 6.5% and above. So in between there, 5.7 to 6.4% indicates that the person has prediabetes and is in an increased risk, uh, risk for developing diabetes later in life. I hope that was clear. Absolutely. Um, for me, it was. Certainly, um, if anyone has any questions at this time, we just want to take a brief pause before we go into some of the complications that you can have with the diabetes. Certainly. Okay, great. Everybody seems quite comfortable with that information. So, Barbados is known as the amputation. Oh, we have a caller calling in. Hold one second before we go into our next question. Our first caller on this evening, good evening. Hi, good evening. Hi, Dr. Sargent, how are you? Hi, good evening, I am okay, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, with the history of diabetes running in the family, um, is there a particular age that you should get tested or get, get regular testing for diabetes? Okay. Especially That's if you have a sweet tooth. <laughs> don't worry I have a sweet tooth as well so absolutely so for those persons who are average risk we would generally say to start screening for diabetes from the age of 45 however for those persons who are 25 years and above and have certain risk factors we would start screening them from that age and these risk factors can include a strong family history of diabetes um, if the person is overweight or obese, if they have certain conditions that increase their risk of developing diabetes, such as polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I know that quite a few of our Barbadian females do suffer with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, so that, that's one of the things that would make us reflect and screen you for diabetes from a certain age. So there are many risk factors that we would take into account to decide your risk for developing diabetes and when you should start that screening. And then depending on what the screening test shows, then we would decide how frequently you need to be screened after that. Okay, we have another question here that's in the actual chat. If you are pre, I'm assuming pre-diabetic, what steps should you take? That's also a very excellent question. So the value of knowing that you're pre-diabetic is that you can take steps to prevent yourself from becoming fully diabetic. And that is crucial. Um, so just like how we would treat an actual diabetic person, somebody with pre-diabetes, we would advise them on lifestyle changes. This is key. Um, so we would advise them to change their diet and start a regular exercise regime. And of the two, diet is crucial, very crucial. As the previous caller mentioned about the sweet tooth, you have to curb that sweet tooth, kind of turn it into a sour tooth, you know, turn away your taste for sweetness. Um, simple things like cutting out sweet drinks, um, cutting out all the sweet bread. I mean, we can go into the diet, sure, but those simple things can actually significantly reduce your risk of becoming um, fully diabetic. Another important thing is if you can lose weight, I know that is very difficult for a lot of people, but it makes a tremendous difference for patients of mine who have had either pre-diabetes or diabetes. When I've been able to get them to lose a significant amount of weight, I've actually been able to get them back to normal sugars and take them off of medication completely. So it's difficult, but it's really worth the effort. So weight loss, dietary changes, exercise that is key okay good and i see here dr lord he has good evening dr lord um does the hba1c value depend on the lab okay um also an excellent question so it's not the value per se that depends on the lab it is the quality of the hba1c tests that the lab is using so we want a test that has been certified. I won't go into the long name, but there, there are certain specifications. Um, we want the quality of the test to be of a certain level that has an internationally standardized test that will be able to confirm that you're diabetic. So the lab, the values that I gave, those are international values. 
but we want our labs to use tests that are internationally standardized by certain standards that have been set by the bodies that, you know, will govern diabetes. So essentially what you're saying is that if you are going to have the HbA1c test done, then you mm-hmm. must make sure that the instrument that is being done on is well right. calibrated and the methodology behind it um, yes. for that lab is validated so that you know that what it is saying is truly True. that value. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great. And I have another, well, it's more, oh, a question um, from Salima. Good evening, Salima. She says, I am confused. Sometimes you might feel weak and you might have to have some sugar or chocolate or something like that. People say that when their their sugar is low, what does that mean? Okay, so when your blood sugar is low, you can have um, certain symptoms, um, feeling weak, fatigued, you know, tired, um, sleepy. Some people actually get very agitated and restless. If it gets too low, you can become confused. And low blood sugar, in the medical term, is hypoglycemia. And we see a, a lot of that in diabetics for many different reasons. Um, either because they've missed a meal, skipped a meal, um, or they have done some extremely strenuous exercise which they're not accustomed to, so their blood sugar drops significantly. Um, it can be due to medication. Some medications, um, depending on what you're on, can cause their blood sugar to drop low. And the value that we use to define low blood sugar or hypoglycemia, as we say in medicine, is below four. So what we would usually say is four is the floor. And that's a good way to remember the value that you get concerned at because it's at, you know, blood sugar less than four that you get to start, you know, you get trembly, you get in the shakes, feeling nervous, you're not feeling well, getting sweaty. And that's when you need to take action to bring that blood sugar back up. Now, I don't know if you want me to go into this now, Dr. Grant, it's in the treatment of hypoglycemia. Is that okay? Yes, but before you go there, I just want to mm-hmm. uh, make quite of a clarification. Sometimes there are persons also who have are, have very high blood sugars. Mm-hmm. And even though they're not what we call clinically hypoglycemic, they can have hypoglycemic-like symptoms because mm-hmm. they're starting to get lower than what they're accustomed to having in, in their bloodstream. Is that correct? That is, uh, that is absolutely correct. And we find that, in, especially in patients who have been diabetic for a really long time, so it's almost like their body gets accustomed to their sugar levels being a certain level, which might be high for somebody else, but is quote-unquote normal for them. So when their blood sugar goes below that, they actually start to feel unwell because they're so accustomed to functioning with these really high blood sugars that if you drop their blood sugars below what they're accustomed to, even if that blood sugar is higher than normal, they will start, they can start to feel bad. Okay, great. Now, now you can certainly go into hypoglycemia because that's important, especially for those persons who may have diabetes and especially those living by themselves. Right. Um, So every diabetic needs to know what to do in the event that they're having a hypoglycemic episode. And all that means is an episode where your blood sugar has gone low, below four, or as Dr. Granison hinted, lower than what you're accustomed to. Um, What do you do? So the first thing is if you are having those symptoms that I mentioned before, it is good to do your blood sugar and actually check the value before you take action. Um, you, It's good to know, but if you're really feeling unwell and can't get it done, then you can skip that step. But I also, I always try to advise patients to try to, to quickly check their blood sugar. And this is a good time to mention that all diabetics should walk with their glucometer. And the glucometer is just the machine that we use to check your blood sugars. Every diabetic should have their own uh, glucometer or blood sugar checking machine, and they should walk with it at all times so that they can check their blood sugars if they feel unwell. 
If your blood sugar is low, the, ad the immediate action is to take 15 to 20 grams of fast-acting carbohydrates or starch. So that's just a fancy way of saying get something sweet to raise your blood sugar quickly. And this is a glass of like orange juice. Yeah, so we can we can have a half glass, four ounces of fruit juice or soda. And this is the one time where we will tell a diabetic to drink some juice or drink some soda. Otherwise, we would say stay away from sugar-sweetened beverages. But this is the one time we will say, you know, get something sweet to drink. But it's important to take the right amount because you don't want to go from having too low to too high either, which has its own problems. So four ounces, which is half of a normal glass of fruit juice or soda. Um, you can get fancy and get four dextrose tablets, something as simple as six jelly beans or four teaspoons of sugar. When you have taken one of those things, then you recheck your blood sugar in 15 minutes and you're going to you want it, and that's the value of checking it before you take action so that you know if your action has worked. 15 minutes after you've taken your action, whatever it was, you recheck your blood sugar. If it is still low, then you want to repeat that action, whether it was a six jelly beans or half a glass of juice, you know, you repeat it. And then you recheck in 15 minutes again. Whenever your blood sugar comes up to above four millimoles per liter, which we would consider um, good, if it is time for you to have a meal, then you need to have that meal, okay? If it's not time to have a meal, then we would advise you to have a snack. It can be half a sandwich, a slice of toast, a small bowl of cereal, two biscuits, um, something that will just keep your blood sugar up. Because what, what we don't want is you know, when your blood sugar is low, you have something sweet to raise it up quickly. But if, if you don't have a snack or a meal after your blood sugar has come back up to normal, you run the risk of that blood sugar going back down to low. So then you have to take something that's going to raise your blood sugar a bit more slowly and keep that blood sugar up. Um, and this is, these, these things are crucial. I know people find it hard to remember, but it's actually very important. And it's also important to know that certain things should not be used to treat that low blood sugar initially. Things like chocolate. Uh, people, you know, it's a common thing that people use to raise their blood sugars, but blood sugar, um, chocolate is actually going to raise your blood sugar too low to treat that initial low blood sugar. So those are the key things to remember. Okay. Uh, I see another question here from Tonia. Is it possible for a baby to be born with diabetes? Yes, it is. Um, especially if mommy is, um, if mommy has diabetes, it increases the risk of baby being having diabetes. But I, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't always have. Um, the, the risk is not absolute just because my mommy is diabetic doesn't mean that baby will be diabetic. I remember there's also type one diabetes, which can um, prevent present early in life, even if it doesn't necessarily present in a newborn. Okay, great. So we spoke about so far, the symptoms of diabetes, the testing behind diabetes, how you make that diagnosis. But as I was saying before we had our break, we keep hearing about Barbados being the amputation capital. Lots of feet being amputated, especially from the diabetic population. Um, can you then now go on to tell us about some of the complications or problems that you can develop that we would like to stay away from? Essentially, the sour truth behind diabetes. Sure. Um, so if you'll start with the fact that Barbados is considered the amputation capital of the world. Um, so we have a lot of diabetics in Barbados. And unfortunately, um, when diabetes is uncontrolled, your blood sugars are high for long periods of time. Over years, there can be many complications. And one of those complications is that it affects your feet. It can decrease the blood flow to the feet and damage the nerves that carry the sensation to the feet. This, this nerve damage is called diabetic neuropathy. Because people can lose the sensation, um, their ability to feel pain, when they have damage to their feet, especially the bottom of the feet, they may not be aware of it. 
and they can easily pick up infection in those areas of damage. And again, because diabetes can reduce your rate of healing, that infection can spread. And if it gets too bad, unfortunately, sometimes the only way to control that infection and keep it from spreading to the rest of the body is to amputate a toe, a foot, or a leg. So we do not want our patients to get to that stage. And this is where it is important to keep your blood sugars under control. So to prevent foot problems in diabetics, uh, we advise them to always check their feet, usually after you have a bath so that you get into that routine of just sitting down, wiping between your toes, and you check for any um, infections, fungal infections, any cracks in your feet, and so on. And go to your doctor if you notice anything abnormal, especially if you have stepped on a nail that has um, almost like a surgical emergency. I've had patients come three days after they step on a nail. No, if you stepped on a nail and you're diabetic, you need to see your doctor immediately because we want to treat it as urgently as possible and prevent you from having any complications, the worst of which will be amputation. So you mentioned, um, yeah, so ahead, essentially we, we prefer you to come seek medical attention, be assessed, and if anything, let the doctor say, you're okay, let's give you some medication, you can go home, it's safe yes. for you to go home, versus yes. staying home, putting on bandage, dressing, BNT powder, mm -hmm. mercuric mm -hmm. home, all the nice yes. stuff, soaking it in, in um, Epsom salts, Epsom salts, absolutely. Yeah. And then potentially having a worse outcome, which ends up in an amputation. Yes. Yes. So early yes. treatment is the key in diabetes. In diabetes. That is the, the goal in everything. Keep it under control. You prevent the complications. Another third complication is the complication with your eyes. So eye problems that develop because of diabetes you know, the medical term is diabetic retinopathy. And this can eventually lead to vision loss and blindness. Again, we do not want this to happen to our patients. So the key is, you know, keep that blood sugar under control and regular eye exams. Um, so for most type 2 diabetics, when they're first diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, we would send them to the ophthalmologist or the optometrist just to get an eye exam to see if you have changes at the back of the eye that are related to the diabetes. And therefore you can be monitored um, to make sure that those changes are not getting worse. Um, the advantage of monitoring is also to pick up, if you develop those changes in time so that we can do what we can to keep it from getting worse. Um, is that, I, I hope I was clear with that one. Yes, uh, certainly. Yes. Another complication of diabetes would be the cardiovascular complications. And this is just a big word to say that diabetics are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease, which can lead them to have stroke, heart attack, or even death. And this is a, a, you know, a complication of the diabetes itself, but also because patients with diabetes tend to have other things going on, like high blood pressure or hypertension, high cholesterol or hypercholesterolemia and obesity. And the combination of these things overall can increase your risk for having stroke and heart attack. Again, the key is controlling your diabetes. Um, there are other things that you can do to reduce your risk. Quit smoking if you smoke, and that's something you can discuss with your doctor how best to get that done. Keep your blood pressure within a, a, a healthy range. And this can involve lifestyle changes or medications if you have high blood pressure. Keeping your cholesterol and your triglyceride levels within a healthy range. Again, this is done with diet, exercise, and sometimes your doctor will put you on something called a statin to help control your cholesterol levels and reduce your risk of stroke and heart attack. And there are some patients that we would consider giving low-dose daily aspirin, um, but that's a discussion you know, between you and your doctor to weigh the risks versus the benefits of going on aspirin. Um, so we've looked at the complications to the feet, the complications to the eyes, the complications to your cardiovascular system and the, the increased risk of stroke and heart attack. We also need to touch on the risk to the kidneys. 
Um, so diabetes can alter the normal function of the kidneys. The medical term for kidney problems related to diabetes is diabetic nephropathy. So I've tried to give you the layman term as well as the medical term. And over time, this can lead to chronic kidney disease and kidney failure. And some patients with kidney failure can um, end up needing dialysis, whereby the kidneys have stopped working altogether and you need to go and be placed on a machine to act as your kidney, as your external kidney. Remember the kidney, you know, takes all the toxins out of the body by producing urine and so on. So when your kidneys are not functioning, then it can have catastrophic um, consequences. Again, we want to, you know, we want to prevent this. So the key is, again, controlling your diabetes, keeping your blood sugar within normal ranges that will prevent these complications. It is important that your doctor screens you for kidney disease. And one of the simplest tests to screen for kidney disease and diabetes is to check the urine for protein. Right? So you just send a sample of the urine to the lab, or you can even, some, some doctors can check in their offices for protein in the urine. And protein in the urine is one of the earliest signs that kidneys have experienced some damage from the diabetes. Now, it may not be reversible as it, it won't necessarily go back to normal, but we can keep it from getting worse if it does occur. So we want pay, pay people to be screened for kidney disease regularly. And then we take action, you know, we want to keep it from occurring. And if it occurs, we do want to keep it from getting worse. And one of the ways that you can keep it from getting worse is with certain medications, um, which can, again, slow down the amount of protein that's released in the urine. So don't they how quickly the damage to the kidneys occur. Okay. Um, and well, I've also mentioned that it's important in diabetics, you know, control your blood pressures as well. That that is very important to the overall management. Control all of the risk factors that increase um, your risk for having complications from diabetes from diabetes. Now I know that a lot of persons, especially unfortunately males tend to shy away from going to the doctor. But it is well documented that some of the, or one of the complications associated with diabetes can also be erectile dysfunction. Yes. Um, can, can, should a male, if it is that he's having symptoms of such, should he go to the doctor? Is this a conversation? Certainly he should be having with his doctor. And, and why does it actually occur? Right, so... Yes, we, I would definitely advise a patient with erectile dysfunction to seek medical attention. And it's, I know it can be embarrassing for a male to come and say, doc, you know, I'm having this problem, especially with a female doctor. They might feel a little bit more comfortable speaking to a male doctor. But whatever your choice, I would say don't stay home. You know, don't be shy. You know, sexual health is a part of overall health. It's important, it's an important part to being a man. So if you're struggling with that aspect of your life, yes, see your doctor, talk to your doctor. Because um, we want to find out the reason behind the erectile dysfunction. And we want to see if that reason can be reversed, as it were, to make it better um, for that aspect of your life to be improved. So say, so in the instance of diabetes, just like with the feet where, you know, the diabetes can reduce the blood supply and damage your nerves. The same thing happens um, with um, the, the erectile dysfunction. You have the, the blood supply and the nerves, be, uh, you know, that supply the penis are damaged and therefore you may not be able to, you know, maintain an erection that is sufficient for sexual activity. Um, so, we would need to find out the reason behind your erectile dysfunction because there are other causes besides the diabetes. And if you're diabetic, controlling the diabetes might, might, not all the time, it might improve that erectile dysfunction and improve your sexual functioning overall. Okay, we have another question here. What is the risk for someone who is diagnosed as diabetic and frequently consumes alcohol? Sometimes quite the problem that we actually face in Barbados. Right, so they're confirmed diabetic and they're still consuming alcohol. Absolutely. Yes, right, please. So I think a lot of people do not realize how much sugar is in alcohol. Right? Um, 
most alcoholic beverages are full of sugar and a lot of people we know from experience imbibe quite a bit so you know you know you just people don't just have one beer in one session they can sit down and have 10 beers and they can do that several times in a week and that amount of sugar load is going to significantly increase your risk of diabetes and if you're already diabetic it can make your diabetes worse uh, because as much as you can take medication to treat your diabetes the treatment is, you know, the basis of the treatment is really dietary. Make all the changes that you can to control your blood sugars. Um, kind of use the medication as a crutch, you know, use the crutch until the you, you can heal certain things and, and manage on your own. Um, so, you know, cutting down alcohol is very, very, very important to diabetes management. Okay, good. We have another question. Even though there is no cure, can diabetes go into remission? Okay, so yes, that question comes up quite a bit. And this is where you have to kind of understand what we call the pathophysiology behind diabetes. So what happens that a bad in the body that causes you to become diabetic? So in type 2 diabetes, usually by the time the person is diagnosed with diabetes, the cells, that, the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin, you know, they, I don't want to use the word day off, you know, but they're damaged, you know, they're, they're not as many they're of burnt them. Out. They're tired. They're tired, right. And um, that's not necessarily something that can be reversed. So I don't, I, I don't like to use the term diabetes reversal. I prefer to say that your diabetes is well controlled because that function of those cells in the pancreas may not necessarily come back, may, may not regenerate. So I don't want to say that the diabetes is reversible, as it were, if, if, I'm, if I'm being clear. I'm not sure if I'm being clear. So you can have diabetes, and with diet, exercise, other lifestyle changes, medication, your diabetes is really controlled. Um, if people can lose weight, you know, they can actually come off of medication and manage their diabetes on diet alone. But to say that the diabetes has been reversed or going to remission, I'm not sure that we can really use that term. We would just say that your diabetes is well controlled. And also, um, a lot of patients, when they think that they're in remission, they think that they can go back to the bad habits um, that they probably were engaging in before that contributed to them becoming diabetic. And they become lapsed and they can actually become quote-unquote diabetic again. I hope that was clear. Yes. So one of the, the themes that I keep hearing all the time coming through is proper diabetic management, knowing your numbers. Mm -hmm. So we should be encouraging persons to have, for instance, like a, a diabetes diary, for instance. Yes. Um, yes. where they can track their numbers, see trends, so that they get to have a better appreciation of what foods cause their blood sugars to go up. Um, and, and now that we're talking about foods, tell me about, we keep hearing all about glycemic index. Um, mm -hmm. tell, me, tell me about glycemic index and how best should persons navigate these very tough waters? Right. So that's a fancy term that I've heard bandied about for the last few years. And all it means is how high does each um, food that you ingest cause your blood sugar to go up? So if I eat um, cucumber, I don't expect my blood sugar to go up as much as if I ate a sweet potato. And that is because the cucumber has a lower glycemic index than the sweet potato. Uh, so generally speaking, in controlling the diabetes, we want to consume foods with a lower glycemic index. Um, those foods that do not increase your blood sugar as high as other foods. Um, general rules of thumb would be, we, we know to stay away from sugar, sweetened beverages, um, sodas, other, you know, carbonated drinks in general. Uh, people think that fruit juices are fine, but fruit juices are actually full of sugar as well. 
Um, so we have to stay away from those. And I've had patients who cut out just the sweet drinks and it has made a tremendous difference. And then you have to look at the foods that you're taking and you want to choose those foods with lower glycemic indices rather than the ones with the higher glycemic indices that will tend to send your blood sugar higher when you ingest them. So you want to stick to things more like fresh fruits and vegetables. Well, I would say fresh vegetables, um, some fruits, uh, rather than having a lot of starchy foods, like especially white bread, white pasta. Those things have a very high glycemic index and send up your blood sugar quite high. So essentially, once they're released into the bloodstream, it's a very rapid spike that yes, the person gets. Right. Yeah, okay. rather than a slower spike with the lower glycemic in, um, glycemic foods. And you did mention um, you did mention the monitoring and monitoring your blood sugar is very important. I find it helps patients a lot when they monitor monitor their blood sugars two hours after they eat. Um, it it gets you know it helps them to know what they can and cannot eat safely. So a lot of diabetics think that they can't have certain things, but they can depending on how it you know quantity is very mm. important, very very important. So. I will give you an example. So, so for lunch, if you had two slices of sweet potato and a salad with no salad dressing and a piece of chicken, right? And you do your blood sugar two hours later and your blood sugar is too high, then you would know that it's most likely that you had too much sweet potato to eat. So the next time you want to have sweet potato, you would know I can only have one slice of sweet potato instead of two. And then you recheck your blood sugar two hours later and you say, okay, my blood sugar is much better. So I can have one slice of sweet potato, but not two. And then, you know, you try to increase the amount of vegetables that you eat and have more lean protein as well with your meals. So monitoring your blood sugar is very important. Um, you know, I think it helps the patients understand how different foods affect their blood sugar. So when they have that malt and they see their blood sugar go up to 30, that they, they, they know, wow, I can't have that malt because you don't always feel the effects of that high blood sugar, right? But when they drink water, their blood sugar is fine. And it, it helps them to know what they can and cannot do. So essentially, we have quite a predicament here then on our hands because quite often in Barbados, persons, we, we if we look at the plate, we would see some rice and peas, a little bit of macaroni pie, some mm -hmm. sweet potato pie. Then we may have some potato salad, some coleslaw, right. chicken, fish, and a piece of pork. If there's ham at the, the table, you have a slice of the ham. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's way too much carb loading. And certainly proteins can be considered secondary source of starch. True? Yes. Yes, and, that's true. And, and, and so maybe we should really use some of the tools that they have available on the internet. For instance, like my plate that mm -hmm. can can help persons manage how their plate should look so if you're and I, I like the idea that you actually spoke about um having the sweet potato with some vegetables and a protein or, or salad and a protein so that persons don't get in the habit of having two or three different types of starch on their plate at once to essentially starch load themselves and cause those pancreatic cells to become a little bit more tired faster yeah. and 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 so I think diet is extremely important but you also said that it's also important that if you are not controlled by diet and exercise that you actually take the step early rather than later to to start to take medication so that you do not have what we call in medicine pancreatic burnout where the yes. pancreas is no longer working anymore so tell me a little bit about that Right, so mm, the pancreas produces this insulin that is to control your blood sugar. There are certain genetic factors that may cause your pancreas not to be able to produce that insulin as, as you know, not be able to produce the insulin or worse, you know, in type 2 diabetes especially because um, you have insulin resistance in the body the pancreas is working harder to produce more insulin. So mm, let me see, the, the pancreas is producing insulin, but because you're resistant to the insulin, the pancreas is going to think, well, I'm not making enough insulin, let me make some more. So the pancreas is gonna work even harder to produce more and more insulin. 
And as with anything that's working hard, it can get tired. And what is worse is that when you have your high blood sugars, because your diabetes is not controlled, the high sugars then turns around and affects the pancreas. It can damage the pancreas even more. So you end up in this vicious cycle. So years and years of the pancreas trying to produce more insulin, produce more insulin, produce more insulin. Eventually, it burns out. It gives up. It stops producing insulin altogether. And that is when we have to say, look, oral medication is not working for you. We have to give you insulin by injection. No. A lot of people might have problems accepting their diagnosis of diabetes. It may take too long to come to a doctor, whatever the reason is. So, I mean, by the time most type 2 diabetics are diagnosed, they could have had diabetes for many years and not known. So their pancreas is already exhausted. It's tired. It's been trying to produce this insulin for so long. It's just tired. So some, in some instances, the faster we introduce certain medications to help your body control the blood sugars, reduce the insulin resistance in the body, whatever mechanism the medication works by, it means that your pancreas has time to rest. It's going to say, okay, I don't have to produce, I don't have to feel like I have to produce that much insulin anymore. I can rest. And in resting, you actually save the pancreas from burning out. Um, this is some, the, the, I mean, people like to avoid insulin, but insulin is actually a very good way to get the pancreas to rest as well. Uh, sometimes when a patient is not diagnosed and their blood sugars are really uncontrolled, you can actually give them insulin um, as an injection, you know, which a lot of people fear. They don't like needles or whatever, but it allows the pancreas to rest and recuperate and not, you know, almost, you know, catch itself and start to, you know, work better again. And this is, you know, in the long run, this is just generally better for your diabetes. Good. So I like how we, we tidied that up and we are now coming to a close. If no one else has any more questions, I want to say thank you very much, Dr. Sargent. Thank you so much for coming in. Wait, hold on. We have a question. Hold on. Yes, please, Tony G, you're on the air. Yes, Dr. Sargent, are you hearing me? Hi, I can hear you. Yes, um, so I exercise every day. So okay. I can do as I like with what I eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I think my laugh tells you the answer to that one. <laughs> Right. So um, I would say generally, no, it could give you probably a little bit more leeway with your diet. Are you actually diabetic? Um, if you are, then your diet is tremendously, tremendously important. Um, it is key. You have to watch what you're eating. You have to have to. And then exercise is just like the icing on the cake, which might not necessarily be the most appropriate um, analogy given that we're talking about diabetes and having a sweet tooth uh, but you know they, they work hand in hand you, you can't necessarily have one without the other so yeah. even if you're exercising every day you know you can't go and eat a pound of cake then you're kind of reversing all the work that you're putting it in yeah I know and, that, that go ahead no I said I know that there are persons who might be led to believe that because exercise is a, a good control factor, that because you're exercising, then um, you don't have to pay too much attention to the strict dietary laws that, that, that are, are important in controlling diabetes. Yes, right. yes, that, that is a very good point. And there are people like that, but it's important to know that it is, you know, treatment is done using several different ways. It's a combination thing. You can't do one and not the other. Um, right. And if you were going to choose one, diets would be it. You have to control what you eat, especially as a diabetic. Um, have, and that's, that people struggle with that a lot because we love food. 
you know, food is comforting. We use food to celebrate, to, to mourn, to do so many things. And sugar is an addiction. So when you're going to ask somebody to give up that addiction, it is quite hard. So people might try other ways to not, you know, address the addiction, which is the sugar. So they might use the exercise and say, I'm going to eat what I want and just exercise. But that does not necessarily work. Okay, thank you. Thank you, very, thank you very much. You're welcome. Dr. Sargent, I just wanted to uh, place a quick question in before we stop the show. Um, someone here says, can you then, I guess this is based coming off of what you said about the rest in the pancreas, can you omit metformin and then stick with insulin? That is an individualized decision. Um, most diabetics should be on metformin because of studies that have been in the past that show that metformin is the drug of choice for all diabetics once they can um, tolerate it. And that's because studies have proven it's, it's good effects in many ways, reducing certain risk factors with diabetes. Weight so we being can, one. Pardon? Say again? Weight being one. Weight is, yes, weight, metformin can control weight and cause some weight loss. Um, so... We can't just jump in and say, forget the metformin and just go on insulin. That is an individualized decision. And it has to be, your, your doctor has to look at how you're doing as an individual and decide if that's the best decision for you or if oral medication is better. You know, there are many factors that, that drive the decision as to which drug you're going to get for your diabetes. So that is a really hard question to answer. Okay, so Dr. Sargent, again, thank you so much. We had a really robust discussion this evening. And again, thank you to all our listeners out there um, who have participated in the call-in section. Once again, I encourage you to follow us on both Podbean and Anchor and join us next week on First Aid Chats by Dr. G, Closing the Gap. And good evening. Good evening.